The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. During the time of Napoleon, when he was on his conquering of what's modern-day Europe, there was a small village in Austria. One of Napoleon's generals, General Messina, had an army of 18,000 soldiers, and he had come to this village that he was going to take over. Now, this town was a very small town. There's absolutely no way they could defend themselves. The Austrian army was nowhere to be found. They didn't have any kind of police force. They were completely defenseless. So the town council met, and they tried to decide, what should we do? And they came to the decision that the best thing for their town was to surrender and not put up a fight. They figured they might be a little better off. They'd save some damage to their city and hopefully save some lives. And after they made this decision, the old dean of the church reminded the council that it was, in fact, that very day, Easter. And he begged them to hold services as usual and leave the trouble in God's hands. So the council changed their mind and agreed to his advice. The dean immediately went to the church and rang the church bells to announce that this Easter service was going to begin. The French soldiers outside this town heard the church bells and came to the conclusion that the Austrian army did come to rescue the town. They immediately broke camp and were well on their way out of town before the bells even stopped ringing. Worry is faith in the negative, trust in the unpleasant, an assurance of disaster, and belief in defeat. Worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. If you think about a dense fog that covers a seven-city block area 100 feet deep, that fog only consists of one small cup of water. Not much is there, but it's enough to cripple an entire city. And oftentimes, when we find we don't have anything to worry about, we start to worry about that. So in case you haven't figured out yet this morning, we're going to be talking about worry. So our text this morning comes from Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you, by caring, who, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near 
and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So as we're continuing in our series in Luke, we see Jesus is also continuing in his ministry. This time he's speaking on the topic of worry. And depending on the translation you're reading from, you'll find either mostly the word anxiety or the word worry. For today's message, the NIV was used for the scripture that this message was taken from, which uses the word worry. Just like today, there's a lot of things for people in Jesus' time to worry about. One of the biggest was their Roman conquerors. They were worried about if they would ever be defeated and when they would be defeated. Think about the disciples, the people Jesus is talking to. They probably had a lot of worry in their life as well. Worrying about at their lives as they're continuing to minister with Jesus, especially as the religious leaders are becoming more and more hostile to them. Whether it was then or today, worry has always been an issue for humanity. My first point this morning is that worry is deceptive. It's deceptive in that it gives us a false view of life, of itself, and of God. It tricks us into thinking life is more about what we eat, how we dress, our lifestyles, rather than what God intended for us. When we allow ourselves to worry, we're focusing all of our attention on the present rather than the future, which is to glorify God. You see, there's a big difference between making a living and making a life. Worry blinds us to the world around us and to how God cares for us and provides for us, his creation. In verse 24, Jesus says to consider the ravens. Now this is significant because the raven wasn't only a bird, but it was classified as an unclean bird. Now we've talked before how the Jews avoided things that were classified as unclean. To them, the raven was distasteful. It was a repulsive bird. And along with all the other birds, the ravens did not store up food for the winter. They were completely dependent on finding food each day when they needed it. And Jesus is saying not only does God care enough for a bird, for a raven, a bird the Jews thought was utterly distasteful, but he provided for it through all seasons. And in the same way, he'll provide for us as well. Now back in the 1920s, there's a Scotsman who was in Trafalgar Square in London. He was just observing the people in the square. And this guy had an amazing talent for selling things. And as he was watching, he saw this very well-dressed, wealthy American who's admiring the statue of Lord Admiral, or Admiral Lord Nelson. This is one of the biggest statues in the square. It's got the lions all around it. You may have seen it in movies or in history books. But Ferguson was struck with inspiration. And he decided he was going to test his ability to sell things. So he approached the American, and for $30,000, he sold this statue to the American, including the lions. So he got a pretty good deal. So Ferguson was pretty happy with himself, the money he made. So he went from there to sell Big Ben, the famous big clock, to another American for $5,000. He went from there to accept a $10,000 payment from another American on Buckingham Palace. Eventually, justice did catch up with him, but by that time, he'd also added the Eiffel Tower and the Statue of Liberty to the list of his amazing sales and deals. And he eventually spent several years in prison for this. 
Now, this is a funny story. When I read it, my thought first went to these crazy Americans. How could they fall for this? But you see, even though there probably was a part of them that said, this is too good to be true, keep in mind this guy was a really good salesman. He was very deceitful in his tactics, deceitful enough that he was able to blind them to the fact they're buying these extremely historic landmarks that obviously could never be sold. He was blinding them to common knowledge that they should have had. And you see, worry does the same thing. It clouds us. It clouds our judgment of looking at worry. It helps us or keeps us from seeing what's really happening. It's deceitful in the same way he was deceitful to these people that bought these landmarks. It's deceitful in that it causes us to think of worry as a good thing, that we can rely on ourselves rather than Christ. Now going back to the raven that Jesus spoke about, it didn't think about where its next meal came from. And Jesus is saying if God cared enough for the ravens, then shouldn't we be able to trust that he's going to care for us and provide for us his creation, his most prized creation, that he created in his own image. It's a good question and it's something to be reminded of. But worry keeps us from seeing this. Worry keeps us from being reminded of this, of seeing how much God cares about his creation, how much he cares about us. Now this doesn't mean we should sit back and just expect God to drop our every need in our lap. Now God easily could do this, he's very powerful, but it's not what he intended. You see, even though the raven didn't have to worry about its next meal, it still had to work hard each day to go out and get that meal and eat it. You see, this was a mistake the early church in Thessalonica made as well. You see, as more and more people became believers, they started to take the attitude that Jesus was going to return soon. Paul told them that Jesus was going to return, and in their minds, they thought it was going to be sooner rather than later. So if Jesus is coming back, what's the point in even working? Jesus is going to come. And so they had that attitude. They didn't work. They sat back and did nothing. And in his second letter to this church, Paul reminded them that God gave them gifts, talents, and abilities so that they would be able to work, not just to provide for themselves, but to be a blessing to those who could not work, such as the widows, the orphans, to also be a blessing to the church so that it could continue to minister to those who were hurting. God doesn't want us to sit around doing nothing. He wants us to use the gifts and abilities he has given us so that we are able to work. Again, even the birds of the air who don't store up food still have to work hard to obtain their meal each day. Jesus, again, was telling us to use the gifts that he's given us and through these gifts to trust that God is going to provide for us. As I said, worry is deceptive in that it can blind us to itself. Sometimes when we worry, we can be tempted to look at worry as a good thing. We can use it as a motivation of if we're worried about certain things, we'll work harder to achieve them. And then we start to think that that is what allows us to accomplish things in life and provide for ourselves. While there's several things wrong with this mindset, essentially this kind of worry is a fear of what could happen. And we know that God calls us to not live in fear. It's also saying that by using worry or fear as motivation to make good things happen or provide good things, we're relying on ourselves rather than God. And Jesus says in verse 25, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? 
Worry does not give us more time, more resources, or more of anything. Instead, it takes away from our lives, as we'll see in our second point. And that is that worry is destructive. Now, as I said, different versions use different words. It's either going to be worry or anxiety. And the ESV in verse 22 uses the word anxious instead of worry. The word translated anxious means to be torn apart. Our English word worry comes from an Anglo-Saxon word that means to strangle. That's what worry does. It strangles or it chokes us and keeps us from moving ahead in life. It keeps us focused on what could happen and preparing for all the things that could possibly go wrong. Corey Ten Boom said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. Worry is destructive in a spiritual sense as it causes us to be more susceptible to give in to temptation. If we rely more on our own strength rather than God's, as I said in our first point, we're much more likely to give in to sin in order to achieve things that only God is capable of. Naturally, you can see how this will drive a wedge between us and our relationship with God. By giving in to worry and relying on ourselves instead of trusting in God for our future, we're making a destructive decision for our relationship with Christ. Worry can also be destructive physically. Research has shown that when we worry, it impairs the appetite, it affects our digestion, it interferes with sleep, it causes irritable dispositions, it weakens the mind, it saps our body of strength, can cause mental sickness, and it can even stimulate disease or sickness in the body. Again, worry is very destructive. And this destructive nature is another reason why Jesus was speaking so passionately about it. In verses 27 through 28, he says, Consider how the wildflowers glow, grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes, clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Again, Jesus is using an illustration from nature, pointing out the wildflowers that grow in the field, and how they didn't do anything to make themselves look as gorgeous as they did. And that Solomon, the richest, most wealthy, most famous king of the time, didn't even compare to these simple flowers. Now, in some version, it uses the term lilies. It's not talking about the big Easter lilies you think of. It's talking about really small wildflowers. And, I mean, we've got lots of wildflowers around here, so just imagine them. And so these wildflowers would be cut and then dried, and then they would use that as kindling to start their cooking fires. Jesus was saying if God put that much effort into an insignificant flower whose only purpose was to be burned, then why would you not trust him to clothe you and provide for you? In verse 29, Jesus repeats himself again when he says, And do not set your heart in what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. He continues by saying, For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Jesus wasn't saying to not eat or not drink. Our bodies need to eat and drink to survive. He is warning against letting things of this earth, material things, and obtaining them becoming the focus of our lives. Remember, the nation of Israel was surrounded by other nations who did not follow God. 
Many of them did not even know God. They followed false idols and they obsessed over riches and obtaining as much as they could. They focused on the world they were in rather than what comes after it. And Jesus was calling, calling his followers to not follow after their example, but to instead stay faithful to him. That God would give them everything they needed physically, but more importantly, eternally. And finally, worry is also deformative. What I mean by this, as we can see so far in our message, is it keeps us from growing, with our, growing in our relationship with God. Our purpose is to glorify God, and that's what we should strive towards. We should strive towards growing our lives and molding them, forming them around Christ. But when we worry, it does the complete opposite. Instead of forming them, it deforms them. It destroys them. It causes us to move away from God in our lives. My final point this morning is that Jesus is stronger than any worry we may have. Now, so far in this passage, Jesus has been talking about the deceitful and destructive nature of worry and the pointlessness of living our lives in a state of worry. He's given illustrations that show how God provides for his creation, whether it be the birds in the air or the wildflowers that grow in the fields, saying that if God cares this much about these things, how much more do you think he cares about us and providing for us? In verse 31 and 32, he gives the final encouragement for his disciples when he says, instead of worry, we should seek his kingdom. He says, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. There's two things I want to point out from this passage. And the first is that Jesus is saying not to worry about things of this world, but to worry about things that might not even happen, but to instead pursue the kingdom of God, and that when we do that, he says that God is pleased to give us the kingdom. I want you to think about something that you've been worried about in the past, or something you might even be worried about right now. Perhaps your bank account's getting low and you still have another week to get paid and multiple, due, multiple bills due at the same time. Perhaps you have finances or investments that are tied in with the stock market and you're worried about losing their value. Perhaps your kids are entering a new season of life and you're worried about them. Or maybe you've had some kids that have returned to college and you're worried about them where they are. Or maybe you made the mistake of watching the news this week and are worried about what's happening in the world around us. Or maybe you feel like God is calling you to do something that doesn't make sense and you're worried about what could happen if it doesn't work out. Whatever the case, whatever the worry is you have, know this, that when you give into that, that instead of giving into that worry, Seek the kingdom of God. And it says right here that God will give it to you. Stop and think about that for a minute. Think about the God of our universe. The God who cares about the sparrow, the raven, enough to put incredible details into his tiny, insignificant wildflower. He cares for us and will provide for us his very kingdom. Think about the incredible things God has done throughout Scripture. He parted the Red Sea. He caused fire to rain down from the heavens upon the altar that Elijah just drowned in water. He caused vast armies to turn against, himself, against themselves. And more importantly, the God who created everything in this universe sent his very son to die on the most, most agonizing death we could ever imagine. And he did all of that for you and for me. 
The same God cares and loves for every person in his creation and will provide for each and every one of his people. But they have to choose. They have to choose not to worry and to instead seek his kingdom. And when they do choose, when you do choose to make that decision, he will give it to you. Now going back to worry, would you rather continue to let that worry control of your, have control of your life? Or do you rather give it over to God and trust that he truly cares and loves you? And he knows what you need even before you do. Think about that. The things that cause worry in your life. God already knew that those things were going to happen before you even knew they were on the horizon. And the second thing I want to point about this passage is the phrase, do not be afraid, little flock. You see, a common byproduct of worry is fear. The two usually go hand in hand. If you're worried about something, you're going to get scared about something. If you're scared about something, then you're going to be worried about it. So next time you find yourself in a state of worry or fear, remember this verse. Specifically the words, do not be afraid, little flock. This is a reminder of Psalm 23, 1 through 3, which says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The next time you feel overwhelmed, the next time you feel worried, read this passage, but don't just read it. Try to imagine what it would be like. Try to imagine you just walking along a nice gentle brook, the nice cool grass on a cool day, and just laying there listening to that water. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to trust in him and allow him to take that worry from us. He wants us to experience that peace that only he can give. The Lord is our shepherd and we are his sheep. Just as a shepherd protects his sheep, our heavenly shepherd protects us and comforts us. When you're going through a season of fear, don't try and get through it on your own or turn to things of this world. Instead, go to your heavenly shepherd. Allow the Lord to comfort you and give you a peace that no one and no thing can give you. So now that we know about worry and its deceitful and destructive nature, now that we know how we can overcome it, Jesus closes out this section by giving us a challenge or a test to see where our faith and trust lies. In verses 33 and 34, Jesus says, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These commands truly do put a person's trust in God to the test. Because, someone, because only someone who trusts in God would take on such a risk. By the world's standards, for us to go out and sell everything we have and give to the poor is incredibly insane. To do this is the exact opposite of greed, which comes from a heart of selfishness and fear. Instead, it shows a heart of compassion that's extending to others and shows of a trust that only God will truly provide for our needs. It shows a heart that's living out of an eternal perspective instead of a temporary one. It shows a desire to further the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of self. Now, this isn't calling us to go and leave the church and make ourselves impoverished. But it's leading us to what we spoke about earlier, about the importance of working and laboring and using the gifts that God has given us 
so that we can then generously bless those who are in need. And Paul addresses this topic in many of his letters. He does it in Ephesians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, and 2 Corinthians all have examples of where Paul is addressing this topic and the importance of setting our mind on things above, not things that are of this world. So again, God's not calling us to impoverish ourselves, but he's calling us to be generous with the blessings that he's given us. And sometimes that's not always comfortable. Sometimes we might feel like we don't have the blessings to give. But when we do that, God will provide for us. When we do that, we're showing that we trust in God to provide for us. Jesus goes back to using an illustration, again this time saying to provide purses that will not wear out. Now whether it's a purse, a money belt, a wallet, whatever you want to call them, over time they eventually wear out. Either when there's nothing left in them or when we die and can no longer use them. Jesus is contrasting this with treasure in heaven that never wears out and never ceases to exist and is never exhausted. Jesus references a thief in the night or a moth that destroys as a reminder that things of this world can easily be stolen in the night or destroyed by something as simple as a moth. Treasures in heaven cannot be stolen. They cannot be damaged and they cannot be destroyed. Even if you're looking at this as a purely logical, from a purely logical standpoint, it's a much better place to keep your treasure. Jesus closes out this entire passage with what I consider a classic mic drop moment. When he says in verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He fleshes out the topic of worry and why it's pointless, the importance of trusting in God over all things of this world. And he finishes, that, finishes it out by saying, it's easy to see where your heart is. Because where your treasure is, where you place value, shows where your trust is. It shows where your heart is. If your heart is set on things of this world, then you'll be busy trying to store up treasures here on earth. If you value fortune, then your time will be spent making as much money as possible, buying as many things as possible. If you value pleasure, then your time and resources will go towards whatever makes you comfortable or whatever makes you feel good. If you value fame, then your time and resources go towards whatever will provide you acclaim. If you value power, then your time and resources will go towards whatever, whatever it takes to climb yourself to the top so that you have power. Now these things aren't necessarily bad, but they are all temporary, as we said before. They all will go away, they all could easily be stolen, or they could easily be damaged or destroyed. And eventually we will die, and we cannot take any of these things with us. It's when these things become our only focus, and when they keep us from focusing on God and furthering his kingdom, when they keep us from living generously as Christ calls us to do, that they cause us to worry, that they cause us to be anxious, or they cause us to not trust in God to provide, that they become negative things. Worry is deceitful. Worry is destructive. But Jesus is much more powerful than any worry we have. My first application point this morning is to realize that God already knows our needs. Now that right there should be enough to help you not worry. Or you even know you have something going on, God's already known about it. I said earlier in the message that God knows what your needs are even before you do. Not only does he know about them, 
but it's his desire to give us everything we need, even his kingdom. God knows about our worries. He knows about things that are happening, but he also knows how he's going to resolve them. Remember that God gave us something that no one else ever could. He sent his only son to die on a cross and give up his life so that we might be able to have a, be a part of his kingdom and spend an eternity with him. And did we deserve this? Absolutely, absolutely not. That's what makes us so powerful, that God has and continues to provide for us in ways we can never imagine. But we have to trust him. We have to believe that he sent his son to die on the cross for us. And when we do, that these things we will have, a, that we'll be able to live a life without worry. And more importantly, we'll be able to live an, live an eternity beyond this life with our Lord Jesus Christ. My second application point is to see where your heart is. This goes back to the mic drop moment that Jesus was talking about. As we saw in the last point, the location of our treasure reveals the location of our heart. Two easy and quick indicators of where your treasure lies is where do you spend the majority of your time and where do you spend the majority of your money? Look at what you spend most of your time doing. Look at where most of your money goes. This is an indicator of where your treasure lies. The third very simple indicator is what do you worry about? What do you worry about most? What are the worries on your mind right now? The greater you focus on Christ and the expansion of his kingdom here on earth and trusting in him, the less worries you will have. Where is your treasure? Where is your heart? What do you worry about? And what practical changes can you make that will help you realign your life towards Christ? What changes can you make that will help you fully trust in Christ? What changes can you make that will help you in, help you turn your worry into trust. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your words this morning from Luke, God. I just thank you for what you say about worry, God, talking about it, and more importantly, how we're able to overcome this worry by giving it over to you. God, I just ask if there's anyone here in this room today who has worries that they're struggling with, worries that might be overpowering them or almost bringing them down, that you would just help them to lift those worries off their shoulder, God, that you would take those worries from them and that you would help them to leave this building with their worries behind, God, that you would help them to instead be trusting completely in you for your provision, God, in resolving whatever is causing worries, whatever is causing anxieties, God. I just ask that you would lift those worries and anxieties from every person in this room that has them. In your name I pray, amen.